Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, we've reached the end, hallelujah, um, the end of the book of Revelation and the end of our short uh, series. Um, so uh, I really enjoyed digging a bit deeper, preparing these talks. I hope you've enjoyed uh, listening and understanding, and I hope now that you are happy to tackle Revelation without fear. That's, that's, the, that's the object. Okay. So... Um, Use this as a starting point, not the ending point. Uh, just uh, as a, a little guide, um, what I've tried to do, coming up on the PowerPoint, hopefully, here we come. Uh, what I've tried to do to keep things simple is to give you uh, sort of one, one major interpretation of all these topics uh, as we've gone through. And I've tried not to give a long, a longer sermon on all the, all the sort of opinions and thoughts there are. Um, but if you would like to dig deeper into all the different uh, viewpoints and, and opinions, uh, you might want to get a, a book, a commentary on the book of Revelation. And I've just chosen these two as being uh, very readable, very useful. Um, also, uh, books that are useful for, uh, commentaries that are useful for the other Bible books as well. So the left-hand side is the Bible Speaks Today series, BST. And uh, they are probably a good starter series uh, to get into. Um, they, I think they don't assume huge theological academic knowledge. Um, but uh, there is the other series, the Tyndale New Testament Commentary on the right-hand side. Uh, Tyndale is for those with a little bit more theological oomph, a bit more academic, a bit more technical, more, ling more language and stuff like that. Um, so um, I can highly recommend those two series, uh, Bible Speaks Today or the Tyndale series, for, for your further study. And uh, don't be afraid of a commentary. Don't be afraid of a commentary. It's a really good way uh, to study the Bible, and you don't have to be at nets to get into those books. So uh, please uh, free, feel free. Google them, look them up, and, uh, and, and get hold of a copy or two. Good, let's get into it. Last week, we were looking at the two beasts, uh, the, the political power and the religious power working together uh, against God and against God's people. And I thought it would be good to start this week with, uh, with what happened to them in the end. Okay, So uh, a little bit of a recap. We're going to look at uh, Revelation 19 uh, and verses uh, 19 to 21, uh, just to remind ourselves that these two guys don't win. So... Uh, have a look or turn up. Here we go. Revelation 19, uh, verses 19 to 21. Uh, John writes, Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. And this is Jesus and, and his forces. Uh, but the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. Uh, with these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with a sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. This is a real battle scene, um, and it's reminding us that these two beasts 
these two uh, world leaders will meet their end and, and God will be uh, victorious. So I hope that encourages you. <laughs> Um, the next section we're going to look at is Revelation 20, verses 1 to 10, and this is one of the chestnut topics in Revelation. Uh, those two books will help you through uh, this, this topic. It's called the Millennium, so I won't ask Sibylla to come and tell us all the titles of all these, uh, these opinions. She loves millennial words. Um, so <laughs> but let's just read the text. It's, it's, the, the text is difficult to understand. Uh, difficult to interpret, and that's why we have at least three uh, interpretations of, of what will happen during the millennium. And on your uh, handout, uh, on your, I've, I've tried to draw sort of simple charts that, uh, that illustrate the three opinions, but let's have a look at the text first. Uh, it's Revelation 20, verses 1 to 10. Uh, John says, I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So the chronology is quite difficult, and uh, remember what we said last week, some events in Revelation are, um, what's the word, uh, continuous, one after the other. Sometimes they're recapping and retelling uh, bits of the future uh, in a different way. Um, so it's all a bit complicated, <clears throat> but I hope um, there's a, we, can, we can take some of these things and, and be encouraged and, and know what's happening. Uh, the first one, uh, well, let's read a little bit. Let's keep going. Yes, yes sorry, sorry. Let's keep going. Uh, only got as far as verse 6. Uh, let's look at verse 7 to 10. Sorry about that. Uh, Satan's doom. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle in number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They march across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves, Zion, Jerusalem. Uh, but fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And so as well as the defeat of the two beasts, we have the defeat of Satan as well. Uh, and of course, uh, this is preparing for the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, Satan is utterly defeated and his enmity towards God uh, is dealt with uh, and he can no longer uh, uh, fight with God or with God's people. 
Uh, the battle in verse 9 there, uh, they marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves, and the fire coming down. This is the last battle, Armageddon. Uh, don't get Apocalypse mixed up with Armageddon. Okay? Apocalypse is the, is the revelation of, of the future that, that John sees. Uh, Armageddon is, is the name of this last battle, Satan's final attempt to, to defeat God. Uh, and it's interesting that uh, uh, his defeat doesn't even get a separate verse on his own. Uh, verse 9 says, but fire came down from heaven and devoured them. The whole army uh, devoured. And that's only half a verse. Satan's defeat doesn't even get a whole verse in the Bible. You know, it's, it's so easily, easily accomplished in, in a sense. So um, the, the, Satan gathers his forces, brings them to Jerusalem, and fire comes down and zap, that's it. Or the battle is, is finished and Satan is defeated. So all that happens, as verse 7 says, after the thousand years are over. And we need to think of the millennium. The millennium sounds a scary thing, uh, but the millennium is a good thing, okay? The millennium is a good time. Uh, Look at verse 2, uh, the angel seized the dragon, uh, the ancient serpent was the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. The thousand years is a good time where Satan is restricted. He's chained, he's bound, he's in the abyss. Uh, his influence upon this earth is restricted. And the, the timing of the millennium and the return of Christ uh, are all kind of muddled up together. And that's what gives rise to these three different opinions. So if you're, if you're with me this morning and wide awake, uh, let's, let's go through these millennial theories. So uh, first one, pre-millennialism. Yeah, I almost said that correctly. Pre-millennialism. Uh, it's the literal interpretation of what we've just read in Revelation chapter 20. If we take the text as it says uh, and interpret it literally, uh, we have a pre-millennial theory. And the pre and the post are to do with the timing of the return of Christ and the millennium. Is that okay? So it's putting together when Jesus comes back, together with when does the millennium happen. So pre-millennial thinking or interpretation is Jesus comes back before the millennium. So the pre, the before, is referring to the return of Christ. Okay? He comes back before the millennium. So in a sense, verse 2, what, in premillennial thinking, what is binding Satan? What restricts Satan? Uh, what causes Satan to be chained and thrown into the abyss? It's the return of Christ. That, that makes sense, doesn't it? If Christ returns to this earth to reign uh, for a thousand years then Satan is going to be bound. He's going to be restricted because Christ is on the throne of this world. Uh, we've seen the two beasts have defeated. So Jesus comes back and takes their place, if you like. Their, their rule is replaced by Jesus. And he, of course, he is a, a priest king. Uh, he, he, he in himself embodies both the religious, leading, the, the religious leadership and the, and the political, the, the, world, the, the world leadership, if you like. So he in himself replaces those two, and he reigns for a thousand years after his return. Um, so there is a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth 
before the judgment happens. So look at the first chart. We've got the return of Christ first. Then we've got the 1,000-year the earthly rule of Christ on earth for the millennium, and Satan is bound. And then verse 7 happens. The, after the 1,000 years is over, the, after the 1,000 years of Jesus' earthly reign, Satan is released from prison, and he's allowed to gather his army for the final battle, uh, Armageddon, which is then quickly followed by the judgment. So is that okay? So that's the pre-millennial thinking. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a literal, more literal interpretation of Revelation 20. It's a fairly recent, or it's become more popular fairly recently. Um, historically, uh, through church history, not so popular, but, but you will hear more of it uh, more recently. It's become more, a more popular theory recently. Uh, the more, the more longer-held opinion is the post-millennial, which is the next one, and I've called that the optimistic theory, okay? So in post-millennialism, Jesus returns post, after the millennium, okay? So happy with that? So it's, it's more or less the complete opposite of the first one, okay? So uh, Satan is bound in verse 2, and under the post-millennial interpretation, there are various ideas of what that binding is in, in history, what, what happens. Um, and uh, if you look at the post-millennial interpretation, uh, different interpreters have different uh, ideas about the binding of Satan. What, 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 what historical occasion is that? Uh, various different ideas. But, but once Satan is bound, there is a, a thousand years of, of the growth of the church, uh, a thousand years of evangelism and witness, uh, a thousand years where uh, Christians go out, uh, evangelize the world, and, and the world gradually becomes more and more Christian, uh, and there are more and more churches, and the churches are more and more full, and everything just keeps on getting better and better and better and better, okay, until the end of the thousand years when Satan is, allowed, is released uh, and he makes war on this mega successful time in, in church history. We get, a, we get a thousand years of church growth because Satan is bound and restricted uh, and witness and church growth can go on unimpeded and things just get better and better and better. Uh, and, and, and as if things couldn't get better at the end of the thousand years, the battle is won and Jesus comes back and just puts the icing on the cake. So it's, it's a really optimistic view uh, of, of the, the end times, a really optimistic view of the thousand years. So we don't know what starts the thousand years for sure, but we do know what finishes it. Satan is released for that final battle and then uh, Jesus comes back. So on the chart, the thousand years begin with Satan being bound. We get the thousand years and then Christ comes back after the thousand years and, and the judgment happens almost straight away. Christ comes back and, and the judgment happens. You can see in the first one, in premillennial theories, that there's a thousand years between the return and the judgment. But in postmillennial, the return and the judgment are, are close together. So that was the more sort of long-held theory throughout the church. It started to go wrong with World War I, okay? So um, everything uh, was getting better and better, and uh, very much the, the Brits, the British theologians, you know, the world went pink, you know, and the world became sort of British 
uh, you know, the empire. And, 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 and British theologians couldn't help looking at the empire, the, the British empire, and think, this is, this is wonderful, this is amazing, this is marvelous, yes. Um, and, 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 and they would interpret that as being part of this wonderful thousand years of things getting better and better. Um, but, well, I, I suppose before that we had the Boer War, didn't we? The English army was defeated in this part of the world. And oh, ooh, that got people thinking. Um, and then World War I happened. And what a disaster that was. And then followed by World War II. And so obviously things were not going to get better and better. And, but it was really World War I that made theologians, post-millennial theologians, scratch their heads and say, you know what, we've misinterpreted this. Um, it doesn't look like post-millennial theory is correct because things are not getting better and better. We've just, and we've just had two world wars in the last century. So post-millennial began to sort of fade away and, and pre-millennial began to, to take over. But there is a, a third opinion. Um, as Hillary reminded me, one, somebody says uh, there's pre-millennial, post-millennial, and pan-millennial. Pan What's pan-millennial? It'll all pan out in the end, you know, so. <laughs> Which is fair enough. That's an opinion you can take. You could just look at Revelation 20 to say, no, God will sort it out. That's fine. You can leave it there. Pan-millennial is fine. Um, but there is a last one, a-millennialism. And the a just means negative. It means not. Okay? So a-millennialism, it doesn't mean there won't be a thousand years. Uh, it means there will not be a literal thousand years. Okay? The millennium doesn't last a thousand years. It's a figurative interpretation of the thousand years. And as I think I said before, in Jewish thinking, the number 1,000 either meant a great big number too, too big to imagine, uh, or alternatively, it was 1,000 stood for eternity. Okay? So, and, and as we've seen, the, the Revelation is uh, uh, apocalyptic literature, and the best way to interpret that is figurative rather than literal. So that's the thinking behind the amillennial theory, okay? It's the, the figurative interpretation of the thousand years. So it's not a literal thousand years. It just means a long time. There's a, there's a long time uh, in which Satan is bound, uh, and then Jesus comes back at the end of the millennium, following Revelation chapter 20, verse 7. So like post-millennialism, amillennialism ends with Jesus coming back and the judgment happening together. Okay? The difference is, is the start. Okay? If, you, if you no longer think that there will be a literal thousand years, there doesn't have to be 1,000 years between, for instance, the cross and the return of Christ. It just means a long time, okay? And in amillennial thinking, what binds Satan in verse two of chapter 20? The cross binds Satan. And there's various verses in the Bible which, which point to us, and Brian's already referred to it this morning, that the cross is actually a triumph. The cross is the defeat of Satan. At the cross, uh, sinners were saved. Uh, and, and God's enemies could become his friends. God could actually look upon sinners and say, not guilty. And, and our sins are removed and our guilt is removed and, 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 and our salvation is secured. And in amillennial thinking, uh, it's, it's the cross that binds Satan. He's defeated. He's not defeated. He's bound. He's restricted. Uh, he's kept under control. 
And so the, the millennium is this long expanse of time between the cross of Christ and the return of Christ. Is that okay? So it's a, it's a figurative interpretation of the 1,000 years. And of course, we're in 2021. So we're, always, we're already doubled the millennium uh, from the cross uh, and Christ hasn't returned uh, yet. So, you know, have a, I, I, I'm not going to tell you which one I think, unless you want to grab me and offer me a coffee and then tell me afterwards what, what do I think. Um, it's really go and have a read and, and, and be aware of these different interpretations and, uh, and have a look and have a study. Those, those books might, uh, might help you. Well, they will help you as well. Um, but, yeah, normally I try to give you only one view. Um, but uh, those, when we come to the millennial thinking, we... I think it's good to be aware of, of these three important views. <clears throat> and, and you will meet Christians and you know, different opinions and different ideas, but at least you'll know what they're talking about, and you might be able to say what you think back. So there we go. You can uh, blind people with your knowledge. Fantastic. <clears throat> so, uh, but don't forget, don't forget the fourth one, pan-millennialism. It'll all pan out in the end. That also is an option. Just say, Lord, I just leave it with you. You know what will happen, and that's fine. That's also fine. <laughs> so, as we've said, after the millennium, Satan's released. Armageddon happens, the final battle. Satan's defeated. Uh, and then we have uh, the judgment. So let's carry on with our text. Uh, Revelation chapter 20 uh, and verse 11 to 15. Excuse me. So what does John see uh, next after Satan has been thrown into the lake of fire? Then I saw a great white throne <clears throat> and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no longer place for them. So this creation will, will disappear uh, before the judgment. <clears throat> uh, then John says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And the wonderful thing is all those who have uh, become Christians, all those who are born again, all of us who have put our faith in Christ and, and in his cross, our names are written in that book of life. And as, we, as I said when we looked at the 144,000, no one will be missing. The 144,000 is, is there to remind us that no one who should be in heaven you know, will not be there. Everyone who should be there will be there. And, and the Lamb's book of life is, is written with all the names of all the people who should be in heaven. So we don't need to worry that if we get to the judgment day that, you know, Jesus will forget about us or we won't get in, you know. Uh, it's, it's there. The, the, this thing, these things are written to remind us and encourage us and assure us. Uh, once we are in Christ, our names are in the book of life. And, and judgment for us just means finding your name in the book. Come in. That's, that's what judgment, that's what it'll, that's what it'll be. Uh, elsewhere in Revelation, um, the, that the book has been described as the, the, the book of life, the book that belongs to the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world, which I love that. 
So uh, before Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, uh, before God decided to say, let there be light, uh, he already knew what would happen. And he already knew that if he said, let there be light, he would have to send his son to be slain. And, and God knew that in advance, but he still said, let there be light. He still went ahead with the plan. So the lamb was slain from the creation of the world. As soon as God said, let there be light, then God knew that Jesus would come. The lamb would have to come and be slain on the cross for you and for me and for our names to be written in this book. So this book belongs to the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. So what it'll be like, I love these words of C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. Uh, what, will, what will the judgment be like? And let's just read these words. C.S. Lewis says, if there is a God, you are, in a sense, alone with him. Uh, you cannot put him off with speculations about your neighbors, you know, what your neighbors might believe about God. Uh, or you can't put him off about uh, memories of what you read in books, what you read about other people's opinions. It's, it's just you and him. Uh, what will all that chatter and hearsay count? Will you even be able to remember it when the anesthetic fog, which we call nature or the real world, fades away and the presence in which you have always stood becomes palpable, immediate, and unavoidable? That's just brilliant. That's just brilliant. So, yeah, we're standing in God's presence. Uh, and, and this world is, Lewis just calls it an anesthetic fog. It dulls the senses. That's the problem with the world now. It's sinful. It's fallen. Uh, and Satan uses the world to, to blind us to God's presence and, and, uh, and, and God's purpose and God's will. Like Brian was saying, we, we get angry. We're, sometimes we're praising the Lord. Sometimes we're angry with the Lord because we're not fully in step with his purposes. This world disguises and hides God from us. But it will fade away. That's what it says uh, in verse, uh, verse 11. Earth and sky fled from his presence. And, and it'll be clear. It'll be clear. We'll be standing before God. And in a sense, we'll all be there, but we'll all be alone with him. The, when, when, when God is opening those books, it's, it's who do you say that I am? Not, not your brother or your uncle or your son or your nephew. Who do you say that I am? And in a sense, we'll all be alone with God on the day of judgment because we're all being judged one by one. What did, who, who do we say that Jesus is? And I'm sure we can say with Peter, you, you are the Christ, the one who was sent into the world. So the judgment will come, uh, but we have, we have no need to fear if our names are written in the book of life, if we are already born again. Uh, and, and Christians and, and serving God. If we've already put our trust in the work of Christ to save us and not in our own work, uh, our names are there. So don't fear, don't fear. If your names are not there, get it sorted out sooner rather than later. That's, that's the answer. So what happens next? Revelation 21, 1 to 14. So after the judgment and then uh, all of God's people are gathered into heaven. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So that's the first thing to say, and we had it in some of the songs. Uh, heaven is not just a, a, a realm of pure spirit. The, the, there will be a new earth as well as a new heaven. 
Um, and just as when Jesus rose again from the dead, he rose again with a physical body. Remember when he appeared to the disciples and he, he passed through the walls of the room and they all thought it was a ghost because only ghosts can pass through walls. And they gave him a, a piece of fish, a piece of bread, and he ate, he ate, and it didn't fall through and landed on the floor. He, he was physical, okay? John could put his finger into the holes in his hands and feet and side because Jesus had a body. So uh, Jesus was, was resurrected as a physical being. And, and our resurrections, as we go into heaven, we will have new resurrection bodies that will last forever and will be sinless and perfect. So our bodies will no longer be tempting us away uh, from God's purposes. So we will have new bodies to live in a new earth, in a new heaven. So the eternal life for us with God will be a physical reality. Uh, you often see pictures of angels sitting on clouds, strumming harps, you know, that kind of thing. Mm, yeah, not a great picture of heaven. There's a new earth as well as a, as a new heaven. Uh, and, and the new world will be physical uh, as well as spiritual. Uh, we will have bodies and we will live on this new earth and I'm sure be able to get to the new heaven as well. I'm not quite sure how that'll work. But, you know, it's, it's a very Greek idea to think of heaven as only a spiritual existence or only a spiritual reality. New heaven and a new earth. And John adds something else there in verse 1. There, will, there was no longer any sea. And that, <clears throat> that doesn't mean that, you know, there are no oceans in the new earth. Um, the, as we said last week, the sea was the source of all, well, most of the enemies <clears throat> of God's people. The Philistines had come from the sea. Uh, and, and for God's people, the, the sea was a scary place. And the sea was a place where troubles came from. And, and so when John says there was no longer any, any sea, he's, he's reminding us there's no longer going to be any source of trouble or disturbance or sin or chaos or anything. All that's gone. God, God dealt with that in, in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, so there's now nothing going to disturb the, the perfection uh, of our life with God for eternity. Verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Isn't that amazing? God and mankind living together. Our, finally, our dwelling will be together with God. We, we will be there as a human community, but God will be there as well. We'll all be living together. Fantastic. Uh, they will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Can you, we can't even begin to imagine life like that, can we? Because these things are so part of our lives here and now. But, but that's coming. That's the promise. No more death. No more mourning, <clears throat> no more crying, no more pain, because those things have passed away and passed away forever. Let's carry on. Uh, he who seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy <clears throat> and true. 
Uh, he said, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all the liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Fantastic picture of, of the new Jerusalem uh, and, and in, in heaven, the new earth, the new heaven, and the new Jerusalem uh, all together. Let's, let's skip a bit to uh, Revelation uh, 22. Uh, John has to measure the city. <clears throat> it's absolutely enormous. It's a cube, and uh, I think it's bigger than from uh, Vintuk to the Kavango River on each side or something like that. Uh, absolutely enormous. Um, but that's, that's the city. And uh, let's, let's look at uh, Revelation 22, verses 1 to 6. <clears throat> then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. Uh, they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Some wonderful verses in there. Uh, they, we, we will see his face, face to face. Um, what did Paul say? Uh, for now, uh, we, we live by faith, you know? One day we will live by sight. Paul says, we don't, here and now, we don't live by sight, we live by faith. But it's coming, the day is coming when we will live by sight. We will see him face to face. Absolutely amazing. I'm looking forward to the, you know, are you, are, you <clears throat> are you tired of living by faith? That sounds terrible. <clears throat> I want to live by sight. <laughs> I want to see God face to face. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that day. And don't forget Exodus 33 verse 20. No one can see the face of God and live. But, but that's for this world. No one in this world can see the face of God and live. But that's passed away. That's God. The day is coming when, when we will see him uh, face to face, and all those restrictions are gone. 
And, and the picture we have in Revelation 21 and 22, dwelling with God, uh, seeing his face, the, the tree of life. What does this sound like? Probably you already know. It sounds like Genesis. This, this is what God planned for the Garden of Eden. The, the tree of life was there uh, in the Garden of Eden. Um, and, of course, the angel was, the cherub, was put across the gate to the garden so we couldn't get back uh, to the tree of life. Now, if, if, if sinners ate from the tree of life, we would be stuck forever in our sins. So God had to cut that off, make sure we couldn't get back to it. <laughs> but now we're in heaven. We, are, we, are, we, are, we will be perfected. We'll be have, we will be living in perfect uh, resurrection bodies. There will be no more sin or sea or curse. There will be nothing to come between us and God anymore. And so the, 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 the tree of life can make a return. It's safe now. <laughs> and the tree of life that was cut off from us uh, is now restored. And, and there it will be in heaven. And so God's original design for this world in, in the Garden of Eden, it, it, everything comes full circle. And, and, and is restored, and it will, be, <clears throat> it will be as God intended it to be. And it's, it's fantastic. Genesis to Revelation, we have the start and the finish. We have the, the original, the first attempt, and in Revelation at the close, we have, we have the whole thing uh, being as it should be, being restored. The old order of things has passed away. The old heaven and the old earth have gone. The new heaven and the new earth have come in. Uh, and, and, and the original design is restored, and, uh, and eternity will begin. Absolutely amazing. This, this is what we've got to look forward to. Uh, this, is, this is what we set our hearts on. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So the question is, where is our treasure? Is our treasure down here, or is our treasure in heaven? And, and the important thing is, where, are, where is our hearts? The Lord looks at the heart. And he's looking at our hearts this morning. New Song Family Church, where are your hearts this morning? Are they on earth or are they in heaven? Jesus says, make sure your treasure is in heaven. And, and it's easy to see why, isn't it? This treasure is better. Better pleasures forever and ever. That's what heaven is. What, whatever earthly pleasure you enjoy... God will make sure that the heavenly version is much better. <laughs> so in a sense, it's easy. It's easy to put our hearts in heaven. What, whatever we enjoy on earth, we can say, look, but heaven's going to be better than that. <laughs> and it will last forever. Earthly pleasures don't last. You buy guitar strings. Jeez, how long do they last? I don't know. Mm, not long. Especially if you're pre Rico. Not long enough. Yeah, heavenly guitar strings, buy once. Last forever. Fantastic. <laughs> Better pleasures in heaven forever. That's what we've got to look forward to. So in conclusion, I just can't leave C.S. Lewis away. Um, these wonderful words, I, I think we've seen them, we've heard them before here from this pulpit, but, but they're worth repeating in this context. So is this all this stuff we're looking at this morning? Is it, is it just pie in the sky when you die? You know, is Christianity just, you know... Um, thinking about how wonderful heaven is and lying down and sleeping, um, you know, with nothing to do in this world. Do, do Christians have no impact uh, on this earth because we're all, we've all got our eyes and hearts fixed on heaven? Um, C.S. Lewis actually made the point that the people who had most impact on the world are actually the Christians who had their eyes most firmly fixed on heaven. Uh, 
because, because they knew and were convinced about the joys and treasures in heaven, they turned to the earth and they said, we are, we are going to do something on earth. We're going to have an impact on earth as well. Uh, Wilberforce, the great uh, British MP who, who abolished slavery in, in, the, in the UK, a Christian, eyes firmly fixed on heaven and yet determined to make a difference on earth. So don't let people say, this is just pie in the sky when you die. This is what C.S. Lewis says. If I find in myself a desire for which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I must, what do I do now while we wait? I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find after death, until after death. I must never let it get snowed under, or sanded under for Namibia, uh, or turned aside. <clears throat> I must make it the main object of my life to press on to that other country and to help others to do the same. Yeah? That's, that was C.S. Lewis's attitude, and I think it's the one he wants us to have as well. Let's, let's make sure our treasure is in heaven this morning, and let's encourage one another to do the same. Where's your treasure this morning? Make sure it's in the right place. That was from mere Christianity. The final quote is from a, a sermon that he preached uh, that you can download as a PDF. This is one of, one of my favorite sermons of all time. It's, called, it's been called The Weight of Glory. <laughs> uh, he, said, he preached, if, uh, if we consider the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that the Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and wealth and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We are far too easily pleased. Yeah? If, we're, if we're pleased with the things of this world, we are far too easily pleased. The, the real rewards, the real treasure, the, the, the real things worth desiring properly are in heaven. And, and that's where we should be fixing our hearts. That's where we should be fixing our desires. We, if we want the things of this world, we, we want the second class or the third class stuff. We're wanting the rubbish. Why, why want the rubbish when God is offering us the true gold and the true silver and the true diamonds and the true treasure, the real, the real treasures that will last forever? So may God help us. May God help us fix our hearts and minds on where Christ is seated above. And, and yet, may God help us have an impact upon this world uh, in which we are living just now. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for these fantastic promises. Thank you for these fantastic visions uh, which you gave to John. Thank you that you... Uh, forced him in a sense. You required him to write down these things, Lord, so that we can have them and read them today. Lord, just help us. Help us put our treasure in the right place. Help our hearts to be in the right place this morning. We ask that through these words and through our considerations and our meditations, Lord, you, you would help us fix uh, our, our, our hearts on the heavenly treasure uh, that we can uh, no longer be tempted and, uh, to the things of this world. And yet, Lord, at the same time, help us to have an impact upon the things 
of this world, our society, our nation, our communities, our families, our workplaces, our school places. Lord, may, may we have our hearts and minds so fixed on heaven that we find it easy and, uh, uh, and you enable us to have an impact upon this world here and now. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and through the empowering of his Holy Spirit. Amen. This is Rico Vecca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.